Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Healthcare's Missing Link, podcast where we help you uncover the things that are taking away your best health. And today, as you know, I'm Dr. Mark Sherwood. It's a special day because I get to introduce you uh, to really my friends, my peers, my colleagues, and people that have influenced my life. And it's my great pleasure to introduce on the podcast today, Umaro Cadigan from Denmark. He is an expert functional medicine practitioner. He has his own practice in Denmark. And uh, actually, he was one of the primary instructors that impacted Dr. Michelle and I in our introduction into nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics, and epigenetics, et cetera. So he's been a huge impact on our life. Amaro, thanks for joining us today. We're so grateful, man. Thank you for having me. So we're going to dive in this first, you know, we're going to do two series of podcasts and and I want people to really get the best of, of Amaro, so to speak. And so, you know, you have dealt with the subject of type two diabetes and we talked about this. Yeah. I want you to go in from the top to the bottom, you know, and, and tell our listeners basically what is type two diabetes? What's the pathology and, and what should we be doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, so type two diabetes, the best way to describe it is that, you're kind of like blood sugar, carbohydrate insensitive, not from a digestive point of view, but from the point of view that you're unable to metabolize the amount of carbohydrates you're eating. And therefore you get all these metabolic derangements, your blood sugars will go high, but there are all sorts of other things that will go wrong as well. Cause your body's going to do kind of throw fits. If you, you know, it's like, if you have a car that runs off gas and you, if you live with diesel or the other way around, then the engine will break down sooner or later. So in type 2 diabetes, essentially, you're, you're at a point because of a combination of genetics, uh, lifestyle, environmental factors, and so forth, where you're unable to handle carbohydrates properly. And then if you eat carbohydrates in major amounts, as many people do nowadays, you will get all sorts of biochemical hiccups and, and issues with high blood sugars, but also it will change your lipids, so your ability to control cholesterol levels and cholesterol types and how those cholesterol particles have an impact on your cardiovascular system. That gets thrown off. You can get inflammatory issues. You can get appetite regulation issues. You can get cognitive neurological issues in the short and the long term. All sorts of hormonal systems can be thrown out of whack. And obviously, one of the central things here is that you get insulin resistance. So usually, as blood sugar levels go up, we'll secrete insulin from the beta cells in the pancreas. And insulin's main role is to make sure that we move glucose or blood sugar from the bloodstream into metabolically active tissues to use it. And normally then what happens is, well, if more carbohydrates are ingested and your blood sugars go higher, then you produce more insulin and the insulin literally opens like a little door in your cells to let in glucose. So it's called the glucose four transporter. And usually it's sitting dormant inside the cell. So imagine you're, you have a cell and you have a door or a gateway built, but it's not on the surface is actually sitting inside the cell and then blood sugars go up and insulin comes along, hits a receptor, so like a molecular ear on the surface of the cell. And that tells the cell, oh, I'm going to take this glucose 4 transporter, move it to the surface of the cell and open up the gate or, you know, like open up the floodgates and literally suck in glucose into a muscle cell or other tissue. And then we'll burn that glucose for energy. But then in type two diabetes, you know, even as you secrete more insulin, it's not able to do its job. So even as you start producing massive amounts of insulin, blood sugar levels stay high, they'll stay elevated. And, that, and you know, and it's a lot of the direct pathology or, you know, the disease process, it's not the high blood sugar, but it's what happens when blood sugar is high. Because 
you know, think about it. If you have glucose, which is kind of sugar floating in your bloodstream, which is liquid, what happens as you increase the amount of sugar circulating in your bloodstream? Well, sugar, the salt in water, is kind of a sticky substance. So literally, you will start having glucose molecules sticking to the walls you know, of your arteries and your cardiovascular system and all sorts of things inside you know, your red blood cells and albumin, proteins, messenger molecules. And after that glucose sticks, it literally oxidizes, so it burns. So you know, it, the chemical term is glycylation or glycation, or, you, or if you talk about it from a, you know, from a you know, chemistry point of view, you call it like a Mellard reaction. But basically, it's caramelization. So the same thing happens as if you were to throw sugar into a pot, turn up the heat, and wait for it to melt and turn into caramel. And obviously, once you start getting caramelized, you know, your bloodstream and other tissues, that causes problems. First of all, you get dysfunctional. Imagine if someone were to dip you in caramel, and as it starts, you know, cooling down, you it's sticky, so you touch anything and you're stuck to it. And as it cools down, it stiffens up, so you can't move properly. And on top of that, once you get cells and tissues and components in your body that are caramelized, they actually promote inflammation. So, I mean, what the, the, these end products from this process are called advanced glycosylation end products. And, you know, the funny abbreviation, because the abbreviation is AGE, aging, which is literally what happens. Molecular, you get a lot older, a whole lot faster. And then your white blood cells that are literally like the troops in your army, they have receptors for these, you know, caramelization products. So if you do the abbreviation receptor for an advanced glycosylation end product, R-A-G-E, RAGE, and so they get initiated, they get riled up, right? And so it's like, okay, if you have soldiers or, you know, warriors and they get riled up and they're ready to go, it's like they're going to start shooting and they're going to start solving things with weapons and destructive means. So initially they'll try to gobble up the tissue or all this molecular caramel, but in the process, then they go from DEF, you know, to like from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 5. So they're going to be like, mm, we're easy now. Like actually, we're in a, you know, sort of war mode, war situation. And that happens not just locally, but systemically. So with time, your whole body is going to go into a kind of state of high alert or emergency situation, you know, and when you have a country that goes into a state of lockdown or an emergency situation, then things just break down. And so that's, at, at that point, you get all this pathology, especially cardiovascular pathology. So your, your, your cardiovascular systems, you have a much higher risk for rate of atherosclerosis, blood clots, and so forth. Um, but obviously, other tissues will be impacted as well. And then if you can't move glucose into cells where you're supposed to burn it and metabolize it, that means that although there's like a massive excess of energy floating around in your system, at the same time, you might actually be sort of starving at the molecular level, right? So you might have less, a lot of potential energy floating around, but very little energy output. So it's, you know, it's this strange situation of surplus and starvation or famine at the same time. And then things getting caramelized and then, you, you know, the, the police force and the army, they get riled up, not in a good way. I mean, an army is lovely, the police force is lovely. When they take out bad guys and criminals, they should be there and they should be on alert, high alert and highly reactive. But if, if they start going after the general population where they can't distinguish between population and foe, or you know, then you get, they get this self-sustaining downward spiral where things go wrong. And I mean, so, so, so to put it in very in graphic ter graphical terms, 
that's really what happens. And obviously that's not a good thing. Um, and then you get these, all these knock-on derangements because insulin levels go really high. And so your body try, you know, it's insulin. It has other roles than just driving glucose into cells. It's a growth factor, which is good to some extent, but at some point that might start causing problems. So there seems to be a link between type two diabetes and increased cancer risk. And one explanation might be the caramelization and you get cellular damage and inflammation. But another explanation for that correlation or relationship might be, well, if insulin levels go really high, you start driving growth of all sorts of cells. And yeah, sure, you want insulin if you want your bicep to grow. You know, That's also why sometimes people will abuse insulin in bodybuilding and so forth, along with anabolic steroids to get an advantage and more muscle or tissue growth than you can get naturally. But then if you have cancer cells or pre-cancer cells, and you get more of a growth signal, right? Uh, you know, they grow faster, they mo grow more aggressively. So you get that issue. And then insulin also, when levels go really high, that can start impacting sex, you know, hormone synthesis. So you get women are more likely to get PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, and other hormonal problems for men also. Insulin can drive, you know, the conversion of testosterone to estrogen for men. So they get low testosterone, high estrogen. So it's like your guns will be converted into boobs, uh, you know, not pecs, but boobs. Uh, and whereas boobs might be very lovely if you you fancy them on a woman, I think like boobs that are not pecs on a man, you need you need very special, a very special taste or, you know, you have very special requirements if you find that lovely and delicious rather than a bit, hmm, maybe not yeah. so good. Um, so you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so you get you get that issue, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and in women, actually, they can get high androgens. So although in, in men, elevated insulin and blood sugar overload and calorie overload generally will drive you from your testosterone being converted into estrogen. In women, they can get high androgens. So they, you know, like all the hair up here will disappear, but it will reappear right here. So you'll get a beard and then you'll get a chest beard and a back beard and you'll get uh, all sorts of problems with, you know, acne, skincare issues and so forth. So that's not, you know, that, that's rather problematic. Um, so, so I mean, so, and, and that's also why, uh, and, and then there's a link with obesity and it's, you know, it's like what, uh, and, and excess body fat and body fat stored in the wrong places. And it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. Sometimes one thing come before, comes before the other, but one of the things you'll get as you, if you store too much fat in adipose tissue is that that on its own can promote inflammation, right? Yeah. So especially if you get central adiposity and visual fat. So all the fit, the fat that sits right around your midsection, especially if it's not just subcutaneous, but if it's actually inside your abdomen or in the worst case scenario in your liver or in your pancreas, that drives inflammation. And one of the consequences of inflammation, whether that's from obesity or chronic infections or just unhealthy lifestyle, is that during inflammation, you actually get mild insulin resistance and derangement in energy metabolism in general. So you get that, you know, that going. And then also if you start storing too much fat in your liver, which can happen just from physical inactivity, from eating too much and eating too much of the wrong things, that also gets you in trouble because your liver is supposed to be a glucose buffer. So under normal circumstances, your liver can hold on to a couple of hundred grams of carbohydrates if you get more than you need and, you know, and then just release them over time over the next hours or the next day or so. 
But if your liver is already stuffed to the point of bursting with energy and being forced to store fat, you know, and 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 the glycogen that you know, if your liver can can take a couple of hundred grams of carbohydrates, turn them into glycogen and storage. But if it's already full of glycogen and fat, and then you add more carbohydrates to the mix, and blood sugar levels already too high or where they should be, your liver's like, yeah. Usually, I give you kind of, you know, I, I give you this extra place, storage place, to make sure blood sugar levels are steady as they should be. Unfortunately, I'm a, I've been baconized. You know, I'm about to explode, or I've become like the human foie gras. Uh, you know, so 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 whatever energy comes along, I'm just going to pass it on. I'm not going to help you regulate it. And then I hope someone can take that glucose out of the bloodstream before you end up with damage. So one of the things that definitely has an impact on the, you know how severe type 2 diabetes is or the risk is visual adiposity so you know when you have a lot of fat there and that's also if you can one of the things that will usually help improve blood sugar regulation really fast is if you can get rid of rid of fat stored in the liver and 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 then you know that why is there a link between often a link between type 2 diabetes and dyslipidemia with high triglycerides high ldl cholesterol levels and vldl levels will because if your liver's in a situation where it's already full of fat and energy, right? Your liver also usually it helps regulate the levels of cholesterol particles, so it secretes but also reabsorbs LDL particles and secretes VLDL particles and also secretes HDL particles and reabsorbs them. But again, if it's already full to the point of bursting, it's like yeah, you know, there are excess LDL particles and VLDL particles circulating. I can't take any of those right now because. I'm about to explode with fat and excess energy. So hopefully someone out there can deal with those <laughs> particles you know, and then add to that. So you already have arteries where the surface has been damaged by caramelization. There's inflammation going on. Your immune system's more aggressive. It's riled up. It's ready to rumble, tangle, uh, go to war. And then you have elevated levels of cholesterol particles because your liver says, well, I can't, the glucose there can't do anything about that and hold on to it in the first place. And those Cholesterol particles, I can't take any of those back. And actually, because I'm full to the point of bursting, I'm going to secrete some extra cholesterol particles to get rid of some of the fat I'm storing, hoping that it will either be burned by some muscles or go into some of the adipose tissue under skin, which is a better storage space. You know, so 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 there so that's going going on. And that's why obviously there's a, this really clear link or correlation between modern industrialized societies where people eat too much and move too little and have easy access to calorie all well not just all day long but 24 7 and increasing you know obesity and type 2 diabetes there's certain genetics also play a role because you can get people who do all the wrong things in a modern society they're overweight they don't move they have central adiposity they might also have dyslipidemia but might never quite progress to the you know, the point of type two diabetes. Um, so genetics are certainly involved, but a part of the background is this modern society with an excess of calories from the wrong sources, not enough good things in food, too little movement. And also you can see stress and sleep has an impact. So if you're sleep deprived, if you're stressed, that also interferes with your ability to handle fuel, including glucose, you know, so, so throw that together and then add some, common nutrient deficiencies or at least insufficiencies uh, because we know some of the nutrients that have quite an impact on blood sugar regulation vitamin d is important not to say if you have rampant type 2 diabetes just dose vitamin d really high and it will go away but if your vitamin d is less than optimal then 
your blood sugar regulation will be poor than it should be. We know magnesium is important. So if you have a suboptimal magnesium status, your ability to handle blood sugar and regulate levels is impacted. Zinc as well um, has an impact. Chromium has an impact. Some of the B vitamins also now appear to have an impact. Uh, and then things like your gut microbiota. So all the, 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 the one and a half, two kilograms of critters living down there not only have quite an impact on how, you know, what your digestive system feels like, whether that's nice and easy or bubbly in a not very pleasant manner, but they also have a knock-on effect on things like blood sugar regulation, um, you know, and we can also see probably also a link with environmental pollution. So some of the things we're exposed to, I mean, I'm not, I, uh, you know, if you have someone who's over massively overweight and isn't moving, isn't sleeping and is really unhealthy, don't blame their type two diabetes on environmental pollution, but you know, add something that just interferes five, ten percent with blood sugar regulation on top of all the primary problems, and things get you know, you get a rather explosive combo or cocktail. So, so, so you know, you have to have that uh, that uh, a modern society with an ancient genome. Interesting. It's a bad combination. It's like you know, someone loaded the gun, then they pulled the trigger, um, yeah. and that will cause damage. And not not not. Um, sometimes you pull the trigger and you shoot an evil person, yeah. but here it's like you point the gun at yourself and you shoot. Um, it's interesting. So you, you you talk about you know all this uh, cascade of we like to use the term inflammaging. I mean, it's really yeah. I love the age and the rage sort of acronyms. Yeah. But you know, all this process seems to go back to this idea of consumption of too many carbohydrates. True. Yeah. Well, too too much. I mean, I think you, you can you know, you can sort of prioritize it and say first of all, an excess consumption of calories. So if you yeah. eat too many calories, that's more likely to lead to a deposit to a point mm -hmm. where it, that in fact influences blood sugar regulation uh, and 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 fat storage in your liver and in a worst place scenario in your pancreas. Right. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there's too many calories. That's an issue. And also just think about it. You know. If you can only utilize a certain amount of energy, even though you have a lot of storage space, mm -hmm. you might not be able to shift that excess energy. So that's the, the, the first problem. Then on top of that, add that it's an excess consumption of carbohydrates, at least from the wrong sources, yeah. you know, um, because you can see certain ancestral populations that have a diet that seems very carbohydrate rich. So some of these hunter gatherers, they get maybe 70% of their calories and carbohydrates, but they move all the time. Yeah. They, they, they practice intermittent fasting not because they want to, because ever so often there's no food and they have to move a lot to get it. And yeah. if they want to get a large amount of carbohydrates, they'll also get more fiber than a panda eats in a day, right? So, you know, so, so some of these ancestral populations or hunter-gatherer societies that are still around might consume 100, 200, 300 grams of fiber per day. Yep. Uh, which means they probably also poop a lot and large <laughs> poops. Probably. No, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, but, but, um, but, but then when we get to in modern foods where we get a high concentration of carbohydrates from these really energy dense sources that aren't very fulfilling, that don't have much fiber, who have easy access, so they're absorbed quickly. They don't give you the same degree of satiety um, because all the fiber and all the other things that are there are gone. The micronutrients and the phytochemicals, these plant compounds that are usually there to help you warn your body what's going on and also help your body metabolize all that energy, they're gone. So you do that. And then also add on top of that, that people eat the wrong type of fats because, you know, we can see with fats, obviously fats really energy dense. So 
in some ways that makes it easier to overeat if you eat a lot of especially refined fat because it's not in a whole food that gives you more satiety but then also the type of fat so when people then get a lot of these damaged rancid scorched fats that cause mm-hmm. inflammation and rage on, on but you know but just intrinsically by their nature because they're already damaged and burned or if you get trans fats especially yeah. i mean that's like throwing trans fats oh, and, you know like yeah. the burned oils and things it's like a, that. yeah 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 that causes problems and then also although saturated fat's been vilified to an extent that's not really that it shouldn't be there is a link we can see that if people if you over consume calories and you either in proper you know, in studies and you either give people a lot of saturated fat Uh, from refined foods and refined sources, or you give them a lot of mono and polyunsaturated fats. It's actually different where they store the excess energy. So there's also a tendency a, a diet high in saturated fat with too little monounsaturated fat and omega threes that that will guide you towards storing more fat viscerally and in your liver. Um, you know, so that combination, and then with too little movement, lack of sleep, which both impairs energy metabolism, but also really there was a span in your appetite regulation. I mean, there are studies where people were sleep deprived, overeat anywhere from three to 800 calories per day without being aware of it. And they go for anything sweet, salty, and fatty, yeah. uh, you know, so, 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 so that combination. So it's, if, you know, if, if you just say it's just carbohydrates, that's not quite correct. And you know, there are these studies done where they, you can feed people and, you know, quite proportionate refined carbohydrates. But if they're actually not in energy excess and they're not overweight in the first place, it won't cause type 2 diabetes. So there are studies where people have been fed 20-25% of calories as refined sugar. Mm-hmm. And in a, but again, this is in a short-term period, you know, a couple of weeks or months. And they they actually you couldn't see them developing type 2 diabetes. Not that I suggest that's a good idea to get right, you know right. 40 calories, but 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 so it's also a matter of overconsumption, but then The carbohydrate sources that are predominant in a modern industrial, highly refined diet also predispose you to overeating because yeah. they're not satiating. They're so concentrated, all the things in food that usually will cause some sort of auto-regulation of calories in and out are gone. So it becomes so easy to overconsume them. You know, so when people say sugar is the cause of type 2 diabetes, say, well, imagine if you ate had one teaspoon of cane sugar on your oatmeal every morning, that wouldn't cause type 2 diabetes. That's right. The, the challenge is people aren't having one teaspoon. They're having not just tablespoon amounts, but they're having deciliters or cups of sugar when they add all sources together. Um, so carbohydrates are part of the problem, but in general, it's an issue of over-refined foods and an excess of food availability and people, and people move too little and they never have a break from eating or a break from energy going into their system. And, you know, and then, so all these things thrown together, that's like the perfect recipe or I'm not sure perfect is the right word to use here, but it's a rather evil recipe for type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease uh, and metabolic syndrome, where you get this combination of dyslipidemia, high blood pressure, vascular dysfunction in general, and high blood sugars and everything that comes along with that. And um, so, so, I think we understand that these are uh, lifestyle diseases, no question about it. They are, yeah, yeah. The the question that that I mean, I know the answer, but but I think a question people would have is, okay, here I am, Amaro. That's me. Can it be reversed? It can. It can be. 
And, and then you can just discuss whether it's reversed or you can keep it under control. But you can certainly, with the right lifestyle intervention, have people who will have perfectly normal blood glucose levels, won't, won't have dyslipidemia, won't have an elevated risk of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular complications and can get off medications. But it does require, you know, quite extensive lifestyle changes. But I mean, in some ways, it's easy. Type 2 diabetes was cured back in 1984. Mm-hmm. Karen O'Day, she's a really brilliant professor of population health at the Sydney and Adelaide University in Australia. She had a study with um, Aborigines who were living in, in you know, ur- urban Aborigines people, Australians living in urban areas of Aborigine descent, if you can say that. I hope that yeah. didn't offend anyone these days. No, I, I, we all get that. Correctness, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she just brought them back into the outback. So she had them go in the outback and live with the Aborigines who still live old school. And so after 12 weeks, everything's regulated because they, you know, they were exercised, not because they went to the gym, but like, yeah, sure, you're going anywhere, you're going to have to walk 15, 20 miles a day, and you'll get some sprints because there's a dangerous snake, so you have to get away, or you have to sprint to catch the kangaroo. Strengthening, yeah, because if, 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 if you, you sort of, you know, went between sprinting and running and jogging and walking 15 miles that direction to catch the kangaroo, now you've killed it. Well, you have to pull it back. So, like, you don't need to pulled or push, uh, you know, weights or, or anything like that, just grab onto the tail and pull that kangaroo and it weighs, you know, a hundred pounds or a couple of hundred pounds, 15 miles back in the direction you came from. Then you had to dig a hole to get water and get timber and so forth. And, you know, and, and it, it, ingesting an excess of calories was just impossible. You no, know, <laughs> like, oh, you're hungry. Yeah. Go catch another kangaroo. That's another 2000 calories expended before you get your meal. So within 12 weeks, people, you know, because they were forced to eat real foods, they mm-hmm. ate a lot of plant food, not strictly vegetarian or vegan, but they ate lots of leaves, tubers, fruits when they were available, but that aren't as sweet as modern fruits. They were getting massive amounts of fiber. They were getting a diet with, it was impossible to eat any of these damaged fats because they're just, just not there. Yeah, they were getting animal fat, but the type of animal fat you find in animals out in nature is vastly different from what you find in modern industrial animals uh, and people were getting a proportionally relatively high protein diet, but from healthy sources, they were getting enough sleep because like, Oh yeah, you, you walk 20, 15, 20 miles or more and, and work your butt off uh, just, you know, physical labor to make sure you got food, shelter, water, fire, you will sleep. And, you know, and the sun goes down and there's no light, there's no computer, anything. So, so, I mean, the, the, the cure really is to have people revert to lots of movement. So, uh, usually, my, like, if you again were to say step by step, my, if you have type 2 diabetes, the first thing is to get in one hour of bipedal locomotion every day. So, walk for an hour or more, cycle for an hour or more, get on a treadmill if you can't walk outside, get on, an, you know, on a spinning cycle, anything like that. So your legs are moving and you're expending energy that way. And then once that's in place, add training a couple of times a week. And as you get in better shape, if you you have time, you can recover, add more. And initially, probably the best types of training for type 2 diabetes will be strength training. Because if you can add some lean mass, that your muscles are like also a sponge for glucose. So if you have higher lean mass, that gives you an extra storage space for 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 calories in general but especially for glucose so that works and then some high intensity training to because we can see that as well metabolically if people can you can have people who 
exercise and they don't exercise that long, but they do these really drooling intervals. And even though it might not change their total body weight, it will get rid of some of the fat in their liver and pancreas, and it will give them better blood sugars without changing their diet. So get that in place. And then food-wise, start by eating lots of non-starchy vegetables and eat lean protein sources that contain healthy fats on their own. And then you're going to have to figure out where your limit is for carbohydrates. So I usually start people on a healthy paleo, like not a bacon paleo, but a real hunter-gatherer. So I say, okay, for every single meal, you're having at least two handfuls of non-starchy vegetables, Mm -hmm. one palmful to one handful of a healthy protein source, eggs, fish, other types of seafood, um, you know, poultry, lean meat, game, that sort of thing. And then see where you know where your blood sugar goes and 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 so because one thing you can measure to track is your hemoglobin a1c but that you know that's like that's literally how caramelized your blood your red blood cells are you know but that takes a while to change you won't see any significant changes in until at least in a month usually it takes three months but i've seen people drop it within a month if they really go aggressively at lifestyle interventions but what you can use as a really good guide is resting you know like you're fasting morning glucose so i tell my clients to figure out how much do you need to reduce your carbohydrates until you get your fasting morning glucose into the normal range not into an acceptable range for a diabetic but into the normal range um and what is Europe, that normal we, range what would you call well, it i guess because the units are different so in europe right. we use uh, in europe we will use um, um millimoles per liter um so Diabetic would be seven millimoles per liter or higher of resting glucose, fasting glucose in the morning. Ideal is 5.6 or lower. So mm-hmm. I just believe drop your carbohydrates until you get your fasting glucose under 5.6 millimoles per liter. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and, and so, so, so I, I, you know, people who are heavily medicated who just by eating really non-starchy vegetables and and lean protein sources and then start and then they walk and get their sleep in place and within two weeks we can normalize their blood sugar glucose levels and then we can start weaning them off medications little by little by little um and with time they you know they can get get completely off insulin off metformin uh and off some of these glp1 analogs um and 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 maintain normal blood sugars, and some of them with time can start increasing carbohydrates as well. But there are also some of my clients who, you know, they have to stick to that sort of dietary template. So there's a TV show where I'm one of the co-hosts and creators here in Denmark. That literally can can food be medicine? And so we've had two two seasons so far. And in season one, we had a a, a lovely guy bloke who had really severe type two diabetes. So on insulin max dose, both slow and fast acting, on max dose metformin and on GLP analog to the point where he actually had nausea. He still had um, fasting morning glucose levels of 10, 12, and his post-meal glucose levels would be 17, 18 uh, millimoles per liter. And if you use millimoles per liter, you definitely actually don't want to go much higher than eight before you're getting into the range of of pathology, tissue pathology. Uh, And we dropped all his glucose levels to normal within two weeks, but he just, he had non-starchy vegetables, lean protein sources, three meals a day. And if he wanted to snack, he would snack on 
cucumbers, uh, tomatoes, uh, steamed broccoli, uh, a piece of chicken breast, that sort of thing. And now is well, that's we started and we followed him for 12 weeks in the program. By the end of the program, we had him off most of the medications, also his lipids and his blood pressure was normal. And now he's completely off all medications. His um, hemoglobin A1C, and again, we use other units in Europe than in the US. So in, uh, so in Europe, we use millimoles per mole. So now his hemoglobin A1C is 36 millimoles per mole, and you yep. want to be in the 30s. That's not just outside the pathological range, but that's the ideal range. So I think, you know, translating into, because you, you use percentage, percentage points in the US, right? Yeah. So that so we dropped him down under five. So now four years later, he's off all medications, blood pressure is normal, lipids are normal, all tests of his cardiovascular system normal. Um, but he's still carbohydrate intolerant. So if he starts eating potatoes, rice, that sort of thing, his blood sugars start creeping back up. So he still has type 2 diabetes, but it's completely managed. He's also lost about 30 kilograms. So that's you know, a good 65 pounds or so in yep. the process. And He's you know, he's in much better shape. He still because he also has some arthritis. He was already in his late fifties when we started, so he can't run. But he now walks. He did the Copenhagen half marathon walking, wow. and he walked at a pace fast enough that he was only seven minutes short of the max time for people running. So he was almost you know. So it's like it's like he power walking. For, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So he's in that sort of shape, uh, you know. And, and that's his lifestyle. And then we also, we did some basic nutritional interventions. So we gave him vitamin D and got him into the ideal range, uh, you know, and, and, and also gave him magnesium and zinc and a good multivitamin and some fish oil for it because he had inflammation, you know, uh, but just doing that and then make sure his sleep is covered. So he's still type two diabetic, but today this disease is not active, so to speak at these off medications. So literally drop your carbs and, to the point necessary, and it's a bit different how aggressively you have to go. Start by getting rid of all the refined ones, you know, and get rid of all the refined unhealthy fats and base your veg diet off non-starchy vegetables, lean protein sources, healthy fats, and get moving and get lots of daily movement and then add training on top of that. And then, I mean, we have all these things. We have, you know, supplements, alpha lipoic acid and right. green coffee, bean extract and so forth. You can throw those in the mix, but don't expect them to do the main job so they can amplify the effects of basic lifestyle interventions but if you, you keep on eating too much of the wrong thing you don't address obesity or visceral fat or hepatic or intrapancreatic fat in in the best case scenario you might just lower your excess blood glucose a little bit but you won't you know get anywhere so all these supplements as i use them also sometimes to get people to in you know into the norm race faster but they have to be considered supplementation supplements yes. on top of a basic healthy diet and lifestyle. And then of course, also if people are highly stressed, you might need to address that both, you know, stress can make just rob you of the resources to actually be able to make the, those changes. But I've also seen people who are stressed because stress, when what happens during the stress response, acutely blood glucose levels go up to make sure that you have enough circulating energy. So sometimes stress sort of stands in the way to roadblock for people to get over or manage type two diabetes, either they aren't able to find the time, you know, to change their diet and lifestyle, or even though they do that, then there's still a blockage in the same thing, you know, if they're really sleep deprived, it, that could be an issue. And, and obviously you have really aggressive inflammation for whatever reason, you want to bring that down as well, because that can also interfere with blood sugar 
the you know control in levels and and obviously also if you're if you're hypothyroid that can make things worse you know and then and then fasting i people who are ready to do that i also have them do various types of fasting because it's an easy way of reducing total calorie intake and once you start getting into slightly longer fasting periods there's probably an effect on top of just the calorie restriction or matching calories in and out there are probably further effects on all sorts of aspects of health not just glucose metabolism but inflammation right. and so forth and and you know sometimes as people are and they run really rapid results if they're ready to do so i might have them do a super low but still nutrient dense super low calorie but nutrient dense diet for eight weeks or so there's some studies from out of liverpool university in the uk where they looked at the effect of intrahepatic and intrapancreatic fat on type 2 diabetes and then they had people on a 600 calories a day diet you know which is really low for eight to 12 weeks and that completely ripped all fat out you know their, their liver and their pancreas were just spot clean um, and and you and they could literally see the moment the scans were normal it's like okay there's no fat accumulation blood sugar regulation became normal again even though people might still have had too much subcutaneous fat so some right. if people are ready to do that i might do them have them do a diet where they will do use protein powder because we need protein but with total control of calories some non-starchy vegetables and then uh something like greens on top of that you know not just greens green vegetables but like spirulina broccoli powder that sort of thing lots of fiber and then of course i'll put them on a potent broad spectrum multivitamin mineral and give them low doses of healthy fats and that you can keep them in that 600 calories a day range uh, and that can really that can remove their intrahepatic and intrapancreatic fat really quickly but people need to be ready and dedicated to do that well i think you bring up a good point i mean the idea of you took a, a guy who is uh, on max dose of the typical type 2 diabetic drugs and in two weeks you got his blood sugar into a a normal range yeah. anybody can do that right this this exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody can do correct yeah yeah because i mean you it might be it might be hard to change your habits but living off lots of really fiber you know high fiber vegetables and then lean protein sources it's not that advanced or complex no not that then it's not that expensive either right and then drink water or drink sparkling water with no sugar added you know yeah. and have maybe a cup or two of black coffee or green tea it's not super advanced for some people granted it can be like a total change of how they eat so it might take some time you know you're going to have mental struggles with yourself um and 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 it, depending on the food environment you're in that you know, although that's really simple it might actually require an effort to acquire that food but it's not that advanced it's not that super complex when you get to the point um you know but but and that's the sort of diet you would be eating if you were out you know if you're with the aborigines you'd have that right. you'd have some carbs because you'd be eating some tubers as well so like some sweet potato like things but you know but but it's pretty simple so so if people do that you you know you get you get results and you and then you, you can see the immediate results in your you know fasting glucose yeah. and postnatal glucose levels and the other thing i see you know improving really quickly when people do that is if they have high blood pressure it comes down and yeah. the triglycerides their their ldl vldl and hdl that can take a bit longer before that settles in where we want it but the triglycerides i've also seen people drop triglycerides by 50% within two weeks oh yeah um so 
Well, I think you, you know, you, you definitely, um, as, as I appreciate it because you, uh, it's good for our listeners to hear it from someone other than me, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife. And so this is from someone, ladies and gentlemen, that is in another part of the world, but this is a worldwide problem that it, yeah. can't be corrected. Um, Amaro, um, I know you're going to come back with us again to talk about um, a very important subject matter that is affecting our world right now, which is COVID-19. But um, in the meantime, I want people to connect with you. What? How yeah. do they do that? And and what? How would they? How would they connect with you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can follow me on social media. So on Instagram, it's just my name, Umaro, U-M-A-H-R-O. And uh, on Facebook, uh, there's my personal Facebook profile, which you look for Umaro. And then there's like, my company profile, which is Umaro, Food Can Change Your Life. And there, it's a mixture of Danish and also English. Uh, so, you know, English is my second, first language. Um, yeah. But And then, I mean, there's my web website as well but at the moment it's really only in danish so umaro.dk or if you do umaro.com it leads onto the danish website so so no so follow me on social media and then either next year so 2021 or 2022 we'll actually start publishing some of my books in english uh, because i've written quite a few bestsellers about health that are bestsellers in denmark and scandinavia and also i'm about to uh, do the launch of version two of I've created Umaro Universe, which is like a you know online health universe with all this info in here, you know, put into digital format, cooking and information. So once we have everything running smoothly in Danish, then we will go uh, international in English. So we can't wait. Um, you have I I follow you on social media as you know, and there's a little button that you can get translation. So make it's sure yeah. follow Instagram. Facebook and look for Amaro Universe in English soon and also yeah. get his books. Uh, I'm excited about that. I can't read Danish, but I can oh. read English very well. So yeah. I'll be the first in line to that. Um, man, thank you. And I can't wait till we uh, talk real soon on the next one, right? Thank you. And, and thank you for, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. There are lots of people like us who, are dedicated to helping people achieve all the health and vitality and energy they deserve and enable people to become their own health experts you know so people like can grab hold of the rings themselves and start doing things so they get their body as friend instead of foe so so thank you as well well you're welcome so folks this has been an amazing podcast with Amaro Cadigan and uh, we're grateful. So thank you for joining us another episode of Healthcare is Missing Link. One thing I always ask you to do is please hit the subscribe button so you can find out what and who is coming up next. Don't let the hidden things in life that are not so hidden anymore bog you down. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on Healthcare is Missing Link. Thank you.